This is episode 138 of Fried Squirms. We're going to be going down to Brazil. We're not going down to Brazil. I wish we were going down to Brazil. That sounds like a lot of fun. We'll be watching a movie from Brazil at midnight. I'll take your soul. Before we get to that, how's your week been, Danny? Pretty well, dude. So this week here in the studio, we got to celebrate Halloween. And for the most part, it was pretty laid back. Didn't do a whole heck of a lot. Had a few trick-or-treaters. My nephews came by. I watched a horror film that I typically watch every Halloween. So, yeah, that was fun. Like I said, still doing the indoor soccer. Caught a couple of local bands on Friday night. And then, of course, you and I went and seen a movie on Saturday night. That's right. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. That was a lot of fun. I was fucking sick on Halloween. So I mostly just sat around. I did rewatch Three from Hell. I think I liked it more the second time. It's still my least favorite of the trilogy. I do think I liked it more the second time through. So Nice. Yeah, I don't know. I was sick part of the week. I've been putting in work this weekend on a project that's still not far enough along for me to announce <laughs> it yet, but you got to see the work, so. Yeah, I like it. I think it looks good. Good. Shit. I don't really have anything else to add, though, because I just fucking sat on my ass playing video games and watching TV and shit, so. Yeah, no, I mean, outside of just, you know, like I said, my little personal bits, I did run across a couple of horror bits of news I found pretty interesting. So I'll start off this week. And the lead I will talk about is the fact that Scream Factory has announced that they're releasing the director's cut of Lars von Trier's The House That Jack Built. Oh. It's coming to Blu-ray on February 4th of next year. That's so not too far off. No. I've actually owned a copy. Oh, yeah, because you version. have a fucking Region 3 player. Yeah, so I've already seen it. <laughs> and it's good. I really liked it. Um, without spoiling anything, it's one of those films, too. It's more or less a character study, mm-hmm. more so than it is a pure all-in-out horror film. But highly recommend it for fans of Matt Dillon and with Thurman, Lars von Trier. So. I still do kind of just want to watch it. Like, how much does the director's cut add, do you know? I can't remember exactly how much. Because I'm trying to decide on whether I just want to Some watch Some scenes the, here and there. The rated cut, you know what I mean? But... That's not that far off. Maybe I can wait. (laughs) Nice. All right. So the next bit of news is from another distributor. And for fans of this late 80s slasher, Edge of the Axe, it is coming to Blu-ray here in the States, the UK, and Canada on January 28th of 2020. So it's actually a, a new 2K restoration from the original Cameron negative. Of course, with Arrow, Scream Factory, etc., it's going to be chock full of really cool documentaries and kind of look behind the lens of this film so it'd be kind of neat i've never seen it so i'm not quite sure how i feel about that all right next bit of news i have involves elijah wood and daniel noah because they are hungry to produce a nightmare on elm street because of their production company SpectreVision. they did talk about the fact that uh they are of course the duo behind mandy and daniel isn't real and they're just kind of throwing their hat in the ring in case something happens okay. with that. So I know we talked a little bit about the fact that Wes Craven's property got the rights back to it. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see what happens. I think having Elijah Wood on board would be a pretty big deal because he's a big horror fan. Mm-hmm. He's got his hands on some really cool horror projects, Maniac being one of them, of course being a part of Mandy and things like that. So, yeah, pretty exciting news. Speaking of Mandy... 
and the upcoming Grudge star, Andrea Riseborough, she is signing off on a new horror film, which is entitled Geechee. And just by the sounds of it alone, it sounds like it could do something with perhaps voodoo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds pretty interesting. So it says that Riseborough will star as Ren, a successful New York scientist who decides to leave the city with her son to start life over in the remote sea islands off the Atlantic coast. So without spoiling too much, it sounds like it might be a pretty interesting film. It says production will take place early next year. So for those who are fans of supernatural thrillers, this might be a good one for you. All right, so the next bit of news I have involves a new Halloween star, and that's Andy Matichak and Emil Hirsch, because they are going to be appearing in Ivan Kavanaugh's horror feature movie called Sun. It says that it is a character-driven horror. It's about a mother who escaped from a demonic cult as a child. Her past catches up with her as its members infect her young son with an insidious disease, the cure for which is more terrifying than she can imagine. So the project is aiming for a January 2020 U.S. shoot. Altitude Films has boarded World Sales rights and will launch at AFM next week. So we'll keep our eyes and ears low to the ground on that one. I've got three other bits of news that kind of rounds out the news of the week. But I did see that Joe Dante's upcoming biopic about Roger Corman, it's going to be entitled The Man with Kaleidoscope Eyes, is looking to film next year. So I know we've covered some Roger Corman. Having Joe Dante on this project be a pretty neat look into it from the uh, like an insider's view. Mm-hmm. I'll have to keep my eyes peeled for that one too because... It says that um, Jack Nicholson and the late Peter Fonda are also going to be some famous faces as a part of this biopic. So, yeah, we'll give you some more news as it approaches. Uh, the next bit of news I have concerns Clive Barker because it looks like Hulu is turning Books of Blood into a feature film. And it's going to be done by the Orville duo, which is Brandon Braga and Adam Simon. Adam Simon helped with Salem and The Haunting in Connecticut. I really don't know how that's going to work. I've read the books either. of blood. I think weren't they looking at making it like a TV series? Go back to that idea. That's a much better idea. Yeah, I know, right? It says that they were developing a small screen adaptation of the books of blood, which is, of course, the six volumes of original stories from the mid '80s. So, right, um, and stories have stories from the books of blood have already been made into movies, exactly. Like Midnight Meat Train. Yep, Rawhead Rex is one. Mm-hmm. Dread is another one. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. I mean, Hulu's got some pretty good shit, Castle Rock being one of them. So, Go back to making it a TV show. I think, cool they're, I think they're setting it up for failure, trying to make it into a movie. Ooh, I don't too care, much I don't care cover. who's writing it. Yeah, even as an anthology, that'd be too much to cover. Mm-hmm. All right, so the last bit of news I have involves Shudder, streaming service we use and highly recommend. But they have acquired Rob Zombie's Three from Hell, and they are going to be streaming it in February of 2020. And of course, including that, they do have exclusive rights to 31. They'll be also showing The Devil's Rejects and House of 1000 Corpses. They have exclusive rights to 31. I thought I saw it was up on Tubi. Uh, It says it's Shudder exclusive, so uh, you never know. I I know it was exclusive when it dropped. Yeah, I know know it's still on there, but I don't know how exclusive it is. (laughs) But yeah, pretty much rounds out the news of the week that I found interesting, like some of the stuff I've been up to. I know that we mentioned that Robert Eggers' next project is The North Man. Mm -hmm. Have we mentioned that he's also said what his project after that's going to be? I can't recall. 
Because I was just reading him talking about it in an interview today. So we should also point out, and this will sort of segue into my last thing to say before we talk about this movie, but after The Northman, he's remaking Nosferatu. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Which is fucking dope. Especially because he just worked with Willem Dafoe. Good point. And we know he can work in black and white. Willem Dafoe has already been Academy Award nominated for playing that role. Why not bring him back? Get him back. Right? Why not? I could see him wanting to do or that. Pattinson. I'd be fine with that too. That'd be pretty awesome. Either one would work. And with that being said, I should mention right now that after we get done talking about At Midnight, I'll Take Your Soul, we're probably going to do a little bit of talk on the fact that we went and watched The Lighthouse this weekend. Yeah. So it'll be a bit of our initial impressions. We're going to try to stay away from spoilers as best we can. It's, it's still pretty fresh. It's really fresh. I mean, I think it's only playing this one like stretch of five days here, right? I'm. I don't know I'm if I saw any yeah. showtimes past this like week stretch, and it was a pretty limited release to begin with. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that still okay. haven't seen it. But I do think we should say something about the fact that we went and saw the fucking lighthouse follow up from Robert Eggers from his instant classic, The Witch. So let's get into the guts and bolts. At midnight, I'll take your soul. Guts and bolts. All right, here we go. 1964. We haven't done an old movie in a while, have we? I think the last one around that time period was Black Sabbath, so it's been a little while. Been a little bit then, yeah. 1964, At Midnight, I'll Take Your Soul. Brazil's first horror film. That's kind of neat by itself, right? Yeah, it's a bit of history here in the studio. So, spoiler-free synopsis. At midnight, I'll take your soul. The town Undertaker terrorizes the town while trying to find a woman to bear his son. Nice. So, being that it is Brazil's first horror film, we do have to talk about the man who helped create this because we're talking about our director... And that is Jose Mojica Marins. And, of course, he's known for creating the character of Zedu Cajau, which is Coffin Joe, which is the English translation. But some of the other films that he's noted for, it's its follow-up, so a little bit of a spoiler, is he's directed and starred in such films as This Night, I'll Possess Your Corpse. He's also known for his works on The Strange World of Coffin Joe, Awakening of the Beast, The Abyss, The Prophet of Hunger, The End of Man, The Bloody Exorcism of Coffin Joe. Now, he's also known for doing some like exploitation films, whether they be sex exploitation, drug exploitation, etc. Some of those include Hellish Flesh, Hallucinations of a Dangerous Mind, the film Perversion. I mean, he's also done like some documentaries, little faux documentaries. And especially about his character. So he's done television series based off of Coffin Joe as well. So he's still doing works to these days. So pretty interesting. Huge icon in Brazil. So when you were talking about Jose himself, I was thinking about the fact like, well, there's three movies that are the Coffin Joe trilogy. And they're the Coffin Joe trilogy because those are the three movies that involve him on his quest to father a child. (laughs) Yeah. However, he shows up as Coffin Joe, and not just in other, like, he does show up in other people's films as Coffin Joe, but in his own films as well as Coffin Joe in a shit ton of things. Yeah. They're just not part of the same trilogy. Right, right, right. Exactly. As far as, like, the storyline goes, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. 
All right, so along with helping write the story and screenplay, we also have Valderrama Francia and Magda May. They help with the screenplay as well. Our cinematographer on this is Giorgio Tillo. He is actually an Italian cinematographer, and some of his works include the Jose films, This Night I'll Possess Your Corpse, The Strange World of Coffin Joe, Awakening of the Beast, The End of Man, Hellish Flesh, Hallucinations of a Deranged Mind, and the film Perversion. The editor on this film is Luis Elias. He's also helped on a lot of the Jose films, especially the ones I've already mentioned. He's also helped on such films as A Jarancha, Zezero, uh, Sechada, Sangrenta, which a lot of these are Brazilian films as well. So, The music was composed by Saletio Coejo. This is his only film credit, and the other gentleman I have is Arminio Jimenez, which I was actually reading some pretty interesting stuff about him. If I'm not mistaken, he was known for composing a lot of Paraguayan like military pieces oh, okay. and things like that. Now, some of these other projects that he's worked on as far as film-wise were This Night I'll Possess Your Corpse, The Strange World of Coffin Joe, and The End of Man, which of course are all Jose films. The special effects company was Producials, Cinematográficas Inkirks Kroskops. <laughs> it doesn't sound... It sounds like a mix of different companies. All right, this was produced by Erildo Iruam, Geraldo Martin Simaus, Elidio Martin Simaus. Production company was Industria Cinematográfico Paulo. These distributors were something weird video. They helped mm-hmm. with the 1993 USA VHS subtitled release. Fantoma which is actually the copy I own. They helped with the 2001 USA DVD. And Cinemagia, they helped with the 2002 Brazilian DVD release of this. The release date was November 9th, 1964 in Brazil. All right, so moving along, we have a cast composed, of course, I've already mentioned, Jose Mojica Marans. He plays the role of Zé do Cajal. We have Magda May. This is her only appearance in films. And she plays Teresinha. We have Navaldo Lima. He plays the role of Antonio. He's also been in Mu Destino, A Twas Meows, This Night I Will Possess Your Corpse, and O Poderoso Garanhao. <laughs> like all Portuguese films. We have Valeria Vasquez. She plays the role of Linita, who is the wife of Zay in the film. This is her oh, only yeah, yeah. screen appearance. We also have Lidio Martins and Maus. He plays the role of Dr. Adolfo. Does he have any other credits? Because he's the only, the only one in this one. movie that looked like a fucking movie star. He kind of did, didn't he? <laughs> now, this is his only role. And we have Eucharis Moreas. She plays the role of Velha Bruxas. And she's also been in a few things. She was in Zé do Perquito. She was in Tristeza do Jega. She was also in Trilogia de Terror. She was in the segment Acordo O. And that pretty much rounds out the main cast and our crew. We gave us a brief synopsis. Should give you some warnings, because this one does warrant them, believe it or not. Ooh, yeah, so warnings. There's a little bit of gore. Yes, there some is. Some violence. Some female violence. Yeah, some, some women beaten, as well as minor spoiler rape. Yeah, I would say, uh, hashtag me too. Yeah. And extreme anti-religious themes. Oh, it's pretty heavy on the blasphemy. Other than that, though, I can't really think of much. No, I mean, it's just gothic. If you don't really like gothic-styled films, I suppose, mm-hmm. it might turn you off a little bit. If you don't like subtitles, <laughs> Portuguese films, South American Yeah, unless films, you can understand Portuguese, then... Yeah, then you probably already understand this film to begin with. Yeah, no shit. 
you, you can pick some of it apart if you know Spanish because they're close enough, but some stuff you'll be like, ooh, that's not the right word. What is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, outside of that, it's not, I won't say it's completely tame, but it's kind of middle of the road. Yeah, a lot more middle than I thought it would be for being the first horror movie yeah, from out Brazil, Brazil. <laughs> in 64. This is a lot more middle than I thought it was going to be tamer. Not to say it's the worst, but I did think it was going to be tamer going into it. So Nice. Let's, fuck it, let's get into it. See how at midnight I'll take your soul made us squeal. That fucking name, dude. <laughs> how does that make you squeal? How did that make us squeal? At midnight, I'll take your soul. The J is fired up. We're smoking. We're getting into it. Fucking, first off, I want to say, do you want to know how I can tell straight off that this is a fucking 1964 movie? How's that? Two, two big reasons. First off, the name is a fucking mouthful. You don't get names that take you three seconds to fucking say anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? At midnight, I'll take your soul. Fuck that noise. Anyway. Yeah, it kind of has a, a Giallo-esque title to it. A little bit. A little bit. But also, and you don't get this in all old horror movies, but immediately I was reminded of Black Sabbath. Oh, yeah. Because you have a character presenting the movie as a story. Not even as just like something you're supposed to like be lost in the moment as real, but they're like... Here's a story meant to frighten you into whatever it is the fuck she says. And then appears later on as a character in the story. Good point. Yeah, you know, the first view, my initial impression was something of that nature. Like, is this going to be an anthology? Like Black Sabbath? Yeah, because it is setting it up in that sense. Even some of like... Some of the foreshadowing, of course, too, during the opening credits as foreshadowing well. Foreshadowing or direct spoiling? Both. I mean, <laughs> you very, know exactly who's going to die. Yeah, there's no mysteries about that. But you don't know what the context of it is, though, at that no, point. No, and I said that it was actually surprisingly still effective because of how little context you got for everything. But it was just straight up fucking spoilerific credits. Right into some amazing fucking horror screams. What yeah. the shit? <laughs> they do a really good job with the sound effects, the score, and the composition's actually really good on this film i really did enjoy that one of my first notes actually before you even get to the gypsy i suppose or the witch if you want to call mm-hmm. her that is zedu kajau comes on and he has a little bit of a monologue and he's questioning certain things like for instance he asks what is life it is beginning of death and he says what is death it is the end of life what is existence it is the continuity of blood what is blood it is the reason to exist. Yeah, and then you get, like I said, some of the dark foreshadowing. You get a glimpse of the owl, which has a huge payoff towards the end. And then, yeah, you get the warning from the, the, the hag. She's like, don't watch this movie. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe growing up now so long and being on the internet so much has me a little bit jaded. But his opening speech just had me like... Oh, it's like some fucking emo MySpace poem. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I, in, in fact, I have, I guess I have a big question about Coffin Joe. And this is going to, I guess, slightly spoil what happens towards the end of the movie, too. But is he supposed to be, like, one of these bad guys that we still think is, like, cool? 
I see what you mean. Or are we supposed to, especially considering his eventual fate in this first one, because, I mean, his story does go on into a trilogy where, from what I understand, he is technically successful by the end. But with just this first outing and the way everything's presented, are we supposed to be like, oh, the character's wrong. He was shown that he was wrong in the end. Yeah, I know what you're saying, because it does have a, a little bit of a philosophical bent to it, you know, because of the themes and because of, of course, the country it's filmed in. It's a very religious contingent of people in Brazil. Yeah, but that's it, like, because I kind of personally found the character of Coffin Joe almost to be a little cringy. He reminded me, oh, this is going to be so specific, but I think as soon as I bring this up, everyone's going to know what I mean. He reminded me of a very different character archetype that pops up a decent amount in, like, mobster movies, where you have, like, the young mafioso who kind of understands that he isn't as good as the rest, and so plays himself up like the fucking big man, and it doesn't matter that he looks like a fool because his dad's still connected so he can get away with whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah, I mean, as far as, like, an archetype, yeah, yeah, yeah I could see that. Coffin Joe remind me of that, almost that exact same archetype, where, like, he thinks he's a lot cooler than what he actually is, but everyone's going to treat him as cool as he thinks he is, because they're all scared of him. Yeah, no, there's a certain ego that, of course, he has because of his lack of belief, and because of the persona he puts out, and because he does have a confidence in himself that it makes everybody else around him timid, you know? He's mm-hmm. counterculture to their beliefs. But are we supposed to find him cool? I, yeah. I, it's a matter of preference, I suppose. Because I don't. I won't say cool like, oh, I, like, I inspire to be that. I just find him to be, like like I said, an antithesis of, mm-hmm. of what the rest of, of the townspeople represent. Yeah. Creep just, is probably better. <laughs> I know, because I'm like, because that's the other thing. I'm like, I'm trying to put it, because it's also yeah. different time, different place. Absolutely. Am I supposed to find him cool? Because I just find him a little bit cringy. Ooh, especially when you learn some of his vices later on. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, that doesn't make him any more endearing. No, of course not. I was actually really on board with like his anti-superstition stance. I thought that was really neat because you don't see that in very many horror no, films yeah. at all. Most horror films are kind of built around the fact that most of the characters believe at least a little bit. And he's just like, yeah, no, fuck this. But I also thought the movie was kind of making it out that, like, he kind of had super or some sort of powers himself the entire time. It seemed like he could. I know we're kind of jumping around here, but he does have what I put down as the crazy eyes. And he has kind of like the rock eyebrow. Yeah. (laughs) If you smell. (laughs) And his crazy eyes start going crazy bloodshot eyes by the end of the movie. Right, right, right. He's hitting fat dabs. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I I thought that was weird because I legitimately thought he had powers through a portion of the movie. So I'm like, why are you so against this shit? Are you just trying to keep all the power for yourself? Like, what's going on? The only, I won't say only, but one of the few characters I could maybe compare him to would be like Montag, right? He has a little bit of that. A little bit of Montag, yeah, absolutely a little bit of Montag, for sure. You know, maybe not necessarily on that magic kick and stuff like that, but there's a little bit of supernatural to it, though. It seems it, that it way. It seems there's like other than the the absolute supernatural that happens. Well, yeah, right exactly. In the very final act, but even up to then, he seems like he has some kind of control. Because otherwise, those townspeople really should just gang up on his ass. Oh yeah, 
Like the one guy suggesting towards the end, like even one guy gets in a good hit early on. I was about to say that, yeah. <laughs> but then then they let him get at him and nobody oh, nobody did a fucking thing about it. So he gets to just go on town because not a single fucking person's doing he anything. He kinda does go on like ass whooping sprees, you know? Let's let's get into this proper. Alright. So like you said, we got fucking live journal from the beginning. Yep. Into the witch being like, hey, here's a story. <laughs> yeah, don't watch it. She's trying to give you warnings. Don't watch to go this. Home. This is going to fucking scare you, bitch. Yeah, exactly. But then the very first scene, which I want to talk about just real briefly because mm-hmm. there's some interesting things about this. The very first scene, you see a group of mourners at a cemetery, right? That is one of the few outdoor shots because most of this film was shot indoors at a studio that was only about oh. 600 square feet in total space. You know what? Honestly, I didn't even notice that. Right. So, he did a good job of, of hiding that, to be completely honest. Yeah. So he only shot the outdoor sequences in one day, that being one of them. And the mourner, the older lady, was played by his mother. Mm. Right. So one of his first scenes he actually has with his mother. So I thought that was really neat. But from that, we learned that it is Holy Friday, right? So you can't eat meat because one of the things he does is when he comes back from, I guess, that whole funeral and whatnot, is he's talking to his wife. He's like, I'm fucking hungry. He's hungry. He wants some meat. But it's you can't because it's... She's like, there's no meat. Holy Friday. What am I he's supposed like, to do? fuck no that noise. I want to get some lamb, right? And she's like, you might run into the devil or some shit of that nature. He's like, I'll invite him over for dinner. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets his lamb. He, of course, he's fucked up. He eats it in front of the procession and, like, offers it to the priest. Yeah, so... While he's watching out a window. Man, like, I grew up... Like, I grew damn. up Catholic, and that was one of the notes I made, because I feel like this is something I only see in movies. Nobody actually, like, makes the sign of the cross at things to ward off evil. Yeah. <laughs> And I was I was still trying to think too though, like time and place, time and place. And to be honest, like like this is a very, very broad generalization, but I think it might hold up a little bit. And I actually I'm not I'm not the only one putting this thought out there, so don't blame only me if you take offense at it. But a prominent Latinx podcast was talking about the same thing just this past week on their own podcast. But it seems like Latinos in general across the entire like south of the border down a little bit more superstitious than your average people and so i'm like okay maybe 1964 yeah maybe somebody'd fucking make the sign of the cross <laughs> to try to warn off evil but i grew up catholic nobody actually does that shit you only see that bullshit in movies everyone else just thinks like man guy's kind of being an asshole i want some lamb <laughs> that's what yeah. people actually think <laughs> it's pretty messed up right i mean just the fact, too, that Brazil, like I said, is very religious. We've already gone over that fact. And him mocking, making a mockery of it because he wants some meat. <laughs> He's going to have it. And then one of the next scenes is that I wrote down that Zay, which, of course, is Jose, which, which is kind of neat. Zay is short for Jose. Yeah. All right. So, I, re- I didn't realize that till like, an hour before you showed up. I was <laughs> like, oh, fuck. Makes okay. sense, right? <laughs> so he's starting to kind of flirt with Teresina, which is his best friend Antonio's fiance. Right? And one of the things is like I'm I will say this, he has some pretty slick lines in this fucking film. He has a lot of really cool lines. 
But one of the first so ones... So you watched this off the DVD, right? I did. I did. I have a feeling you probably have better subtitles than I was watching. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Considering I went a little bit more piratey with my getting of this movie. <laughs> That's understandable, man. Some of my the English translation I was reading was interesting to say the least. <laughs> if yours curious, flowed yeah. like actual speech, then we'll we'll see. We'll see. All right. So he has an encounter early on, like I said, with Terzina, and he's telling her. He says that uh, he's like, "Let's see if your lips are as defiant as your words." All right, and then he goes in for a oh, kiss, yeah, and she shit. bites his lip. And okay, he says, so no, that's that's good. He yeah. says, you have the fangs of a snake and the face of an angel. Yep. Okay, so we're all matching up so far. Okay, so, right. So then he goes to the tavern, and this is when shit really starts to kick off, right? One of my next notes is that the owner of the tavern, the old man, his character's name is Francisco, but is actually his father, Antonio Marins. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So you get to see both his parents. I did read that his mother at one time was a tango singer and his father was a bullfighter, which kind of makes sense with one of the scenes that's about to come up. (laughs) So this shit that goes down in the bar Mm -hmm. after the fucking poker, I wasn't sure if they were trying to set him up to be a bad guy at that point because it's extreme what he does, but... Like this isn't even like normal card game. This is a bar in Brazil card game. Yeah, like, and you don't hold on to that fucking money. Like, no, no, no. No, he's lucky. He's lucky he'd fucking just escape with only getting his fingers chopped off. You fucking kidding me? Yeah. Nobody in that bar was gonna say fucking shit. It doesn't matter if it's Coffin uh-uh. Joe or not. Uh uh-uh. uh That could have that would have happened to any one of that them. That would have happened to any one of yep. them. Nobody was gonna say shit about that because you don't hold on to that money. It was an accident. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you gonna lose some fingers. <laughs> Which I thought was actually, as far as the effects go, it's like, that was, it looked good. Yeah. And the dude got his no, fingers chopped good. off. It's like, ooh, that looked like it fucked him up. That surprised me, too. Yeah. I was not Although, anticipating that. it kind of surprised me in the way that I, what I was expecting was for him to, like, put it in his fucking forehead or something. Cause yeah. That would make... Because nobody was going to say shit at that point. I know the rules yeah. for this shit. If you get stabbed in the throat, that's on you. <laughs> You're right. So that happens, right? The doctor comes... They take all due to the hospital. And then one of the next notes in that is that he makes one of the dudes eat lamb on Holy Friday. I was like, all right, so now he's setting off blasphemous things. He hits the guy with the, I mean, the shank. In the moment, I'm sure the guy's not thinking about it. But I'm pretty sure like every religion that has days or just <laughs> dietary restrictions in general has an exception for like if you're forced to do it. I mean, we got you. Right, exactly. <laughs> we understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, sorry, man, but yeah, nothing's going to I, I understand. <laughs> He's probably not thinking of it in the moment, but I'm yeah. I'm pretty sure those exceptions exist. I, yeah, I would imagine there's like exception to rules. If you're forced. Yeah. All right, so he gets the guy to eat, right? And then from that point, the next note I have is that he gets the crazy eye. He gets the eyebrow lift and all that shit. And so then... Uh, and nobody does shit. No, he beats what I wrote down as the tavern patron during a confrontation after he gets handsy with Maria, which is the bartender. And then uh, that's, I was like, if you've ever seen the movie Hustle and Flow, right? Oh, shit. We're like, whoop that trick. Because <laughs> that's basically what he gets. The guy gets the upper hand at first, right? He knocks the table over. And I was like, oh, Zay's about to get his ass whooped. <laughs> nope. He brings out he like a bullwhip. Easy. But yeah, he... 
Well, he gets like a, a lick in, pops around, grabs the bullwhip off one of the dude's homeboys, it's who like, gives oh, it up without not much of a fight. Yeah. But he's not like full on bullwhipping. It seems like he sort of turned it around and was whacking him with the handle. And the first whack looked like it fucking hurt. Mm. The very first, he, he gets one whack in, and then there's a cut to him whacking of him at, his, at a different angle. Yeah, they had a real and quick discussion. First, yeah, that first <laughs> whack looked like it fucking hurt, dude. <laughs> they did a real quick cut and got like, what the fuck? <laughs> Turn that shit around. But yeah, I'm like, man, that dude got whooped in front of all, everybody. No one said shit because there's, you know, there's like an, just certain things you don't Look, do. This is a fucking card game, right? Like, yeah. Right. Yeah, next dude gets whooped. And then one of the his most oh, people gangster. might say people might say shit on that one because it started because of him getting with getting handsy with Maria. And shit. Yeah, exactly. Which I mean, I understand the guy was like sticking up for her and all that stuff. But after that dude gets whooped, he starts to leave Zay. That is, and he says a, a really gangster line. He looks at him and he says, "I'll charge double to bury anyone I kill." <laughs> like, <laughs> like, god damn, that was pretty fucking gangster. Yeah. <laughs> Right, and so I think I believe this is where he's like walking with Antonio and Teresina, and he's telling Antonio that he's basically like trying to get him, I guess, to leave. And uh, Teresina tells him that she, he needs to go back to his wife, essentially. And then he says some dirty shit, dude. Especially this fucking the second time through. This was where I was like, dude's such a fucking tool, and like, why you gotta be doing that to your homeboy Antonio? Because he's the only one in this town putting up with your fucking ass, like... He is horny, is what it's going (laughs) Because what we do find out, of course, is his wife is barren, because he tells her that a woman who can't bear a child needs no care. I was like, whoa, he's talking about his wife, right? Unfortunately... This is where his wife meets kind of her end. Yeah, that was that was inventive. Yeah, he chloroforms his wife. He gets her tied up in bed, puts a tarantula on her, like basically terrorizes her. A spider bite. Can't okay. be traced back to him. Yeah, it's like, all right. Technically. Got rid of her. So this is it's fucked like, up. Oh, so <laughs> as a high school job at one point, I had this just week-long gig where I made couple hundred bucks for the montana association of the clerks of district court annual meeting was happening in superior my hometown my family's friends with the gal who was at the time our clerk of district court so she hired me for a week to go film the meeting for the couple members that couldn't make it to the annual meeting but Along with that, I was invited along to all the activities because it wasn't just like a meeting. It was like a week where, the, you know, there was official times where I just had to make sure the camera was running. But That's then because cool. it was all the clerks of district court from all the counties in Montana, like 56 of them, Damn. 56 counties, I think there was like eight people that couldn't make it. So that's still 48 clerks district yeah, court. Yeah, close to 50 you know people, I mean? yeah. So there was all sorts of activities lined up for them throughout the week. And one of them was a self-defense class <laughs> where they were talking about the fact that being members of the court, they're more likely to be targeted in certain situations. And this self-defense class included like 20 minute long discussion of different ways to just permanently maim your attacker 
or to do something in case you know you're going to die anyway to make them more recognizable. Oh, damn. So when this part came up in the movie, I thought back to myself to that, like, 20-minute discussion, which was fucking crazy. Shit like, rip off their ear. Here's how you rip off a human ear. (laughs) Like, (laughs) wow. Like, you're going down anyway. Just make sure that he can be found so you can't do it to anybody else. Did you get to film any of that part? (laughs) No, I didn't. That would have been awesome. I got to hang out and, like, do a doll with him. No, that's still awesome. Hell yeah. You paid for it. But I was thinking to myself, like, he has you all bound up. This is when you're like, all you have to do at this point is to strain so hard that you leave bruises. So that when they conduct that autopsy, it's not just a spider bite they find. You know what I mean? Yeah, you see a struggle and whatnot. Yeah. Unless you've literally been told, like, hey, sometimes you might die. (laughs) You might need to, you know, leave a way for them to find somebody. That's a good point. I mean, you're never going to think of that. No. (laughs) That is messed up, but there you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a really fucked up training to be like, hey, there's situations where you're just not getting out of it. So here's ways to try to make sure that he gets found. All right. (laughs) Real quick question. Yeah. How do you rip off a human ear? Let me tell you. <laughs> I was going to ask you. Can you out re- and down. Can, out and down. <laughs> can you recall a moment when Zay actually had some morals in this film? Where he stops the child abuse? Yeah. <laughs> and follows it up with a healthy dose of toxic masculinity? <laughs> I'm like, wow. But that kind of shows you, too, like the climate, I guess, of Yeah, that was not masculine like, culture. I, I did not expect him to say anything different at that point. No, not, not this because time it period, starts off not this time, not this place. Yeah, it starts off like, all right, cool. He's standing up for the kid because, of course, he wants to have a son, etc. Set a good example, but then he tells the kid, "Yeah, real men don't cry." <laughs> like, all right, damn, didn't take long. Some of the next things too, which was really kind of interesting, is they visit the gypsy Teresina, Antonio, and Zay, and she's pretty much telling them their future. She's kind of giving them warnings. She tells Teresina that everything will be good as long as she basically recognized the person that loves her. Bullshit. She remembered who loved her the entire time. Bad shit still happened to her. That was the one, one of the problems I had with this. Yep, so that's what she tells. Everything else came out right. Pretty much. Except for the very first thing she said, which is what got everyone else nervous to begin with. <laughs> yeah, because t- Antonio's next. She tells him basically to not think of his earthly life just to go ahead and give up that kind of like that material mentality, fulfill your soul. Basically, yeah, she tells him you're done for. Yeah. Your line ends now. Yeah, she so tells him. just get at peace, brother. Get at peace. I'm like, wow, that's, that's heavy. Because she's like, don't allow the earth to receive your body in broad daylight. Your salvation demands that you be buried at midnight. So there's some more, of course, foreshadowing we learn later on. And then she tells Zay... That he basically he's going to pay for his sins. When the time comes, he'll suffer the horrors of hell. And I was like, all right, that's pretty heavy. That's good. And yeah, he starts snapping at her. He's like pretty much telling her to fuck off. Well, and he snaps at her when she tells Antonio his fate. Because I have to imagine Coffin Joe's thinking, I'm planning on killing this motherfucker. She's giving away the... She's spilling the beans. Yeah. <laughs> like she's... Uh, She's carrying the plot too far right <laughs> But, I mean, that's pretty much the next thing that happens is, like, they walk home. He, Zay, that is, he and Antonio have a, a nightcap, right? They're drinking. Something he tells Antonio, I was like, ah, I don't really agree with. He says that drinking is the best way to ward off evil spirits. I'm like, mm, it 
depends on who's drinking, too. It's like sometimes it brings on or invokes evil spirits more so than wards them off. But regardless, he winds up striking Antonio with like a hot poker, something like I that. I didn't notice what it was, but he wails him pretty hard in the head. Yeah, and then he drags him to the bathtub. He starts to like bash his head a little bit against the tub to make it look like he had an accident. Starts the bath. His buddy starts to come to, and then he chokes him out. I'm like, damn, that's fucked. I didn't understand that he was bashing his head against the tub the first time through. I didn't understand that till the second time through. When I was watching the movie at (laughs) 1.4 times speed, (laughs) and I noticed that they did add a little bit of blood underneath where he hit. Yeah, yeah. Because it was only at 1.4 times speed that it actually looked like he bashed his head against the fucking tub. Yeah, because it is this kind of... I mean... No, go, understandably. It looks more like, no, go down. No, go, da- <laughs> go down. <laughs> there is a moment, which I thought was kind of, of course, it's just, it's a part of the filming. But he lets him up a little bit so you can see his nose come above the water so he can get another breath. <laughs> Before he puts it back down. But Well, not only that, but he, he bashes the head to make it look like an accident. Mm-hmm. But after he's actually been drowned, when it cuts above and you see the body from above, that blood right there has been washed off. <laughs> <laughs> something happened yeah exactly someone <laughs> fucked up <laughs> of course he kills his friend Teresina finds Antonio's body they have the funeral she accuses Zay of being a murderer uh, which of course at this point yes. but nobody's doing shit in this town no no nobody's whatever they just chalk it up as an accident right so I believe he goes back to the tavern oh is this when he buys the bird right he does buy the bird <laughs> And I thought he was going to make a completely different power play right there. I yeah. thought he was going to turn and immediately give that bird to Maria. That would have been like the next move. But, of course, he's offering it as a, like a kind of a peace offering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Long story short, he has another one of those lines as he's leaving after he buys the bird. And I'm like, God damn, this guy's got some lines. He looks down at the guys who are you know always at the tavern. And he asks him, he's like, what now? He's never seen a little bird. Or shall I take the measurements for your coffins? I was like, like, damn, that's gangster. And then he goes to Terezina's. He offers the bird up. He never really seems gangster when he's saying these lines. No, but it's just like the lines themselves. I'm like, god damn. (laughs) He just has like this menacing thing. It's more a mockery more than anything else. But once he gets into Terezina's, she's asking, you know, what will the neighbors think? He doesn't care. And then that's that's when it's like, oh, I was not anticipating this at all in this film. Fucking it got me too real quick. That was a pretty fucking intense beating for this movie. Some of the blows were obviously extremely well, fake, yeah, but of some of them in there with the bruising makeup underneath looked really good. Actually, I mean that was even for its time. I mean that's that was pretty graphic. Mm-hmm. You know, and for me, all right, it's like of course they're actors and they're acting and all that stuff. It was like. But then again, it's also showing or shedding a light on a, something that is real. I'm not saying that you have to do it artistically always, but they did a good job of kind of like showing like this is not a character who you should look up to. <laughs> He's ripping off like haymakers on her mm-hmm. and like enjoying it. I'm like, God damn, this is fucked up right now. Yeah, he basically rapes her. Later on, he tells her after that, like, I know you enjoyed it, but you're going to have regrets later. The last thing that she tells him before he leaves is that she's going to commit suicide. And because Antonio was buried at midnight, that's when she's going to take his soul. And that's what 
pretty much segues into the third act in this film. God, what happened? Does he go back to the bar and then they find the body? How does that all go? I can't remember. I didn't write it down in a good order. Okay, so the next thing that I have written down, like as far as yeah. the sequence, is that he visits the grave, oh. and he like steals the drink and takes the money That's and right. starts blaspheming. Like he's mocking the dead. The essentially, dead. is what he's doing. Yeah, and I'm like. Whoa, that's pretty heavy, even for a film back then, because it's like, I mean, the shit he's saying, it's, I mean, not that it's the most. He's like, come get me, bitches. Yeah, it's like, it's not the most intense thing you're going to see, but it's like, it's pretty blasphemous, and I kind of like it. It was kind of uh, Lieutenant Dan in the Storm. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it really was. Yeah, he's like mocking his best friend. It's mm-hmm. like, basically, I had her, you'll never have her, because <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> I'm like, damn, that's fucked up. But. That's when the young girl, she finds Terezina that, you know, she hung herself. What a fucking scream. How fucking It segues into it. Like, some of the edits are actually pretty neat, even for those standards, that time period. Is it goes from the witch basically warning Zay that his end is near. And as she's, like, you know, cackling, it goes into that girl screaming. That's how it segues into that. That's one of the best horror screams I have ever it's heard. Really good. <laughs> it yeah, is so good. <laughs> she was a future scream queen before she even knew it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I'm blown away. This is something that's interesting too about the film is the fact that as Terezina wrote a letter, basically mm-hmm. stating what happened, why she did it, but she doesn't place blame on Zay. And so they really have nothing, that being like the cops or whoever is investigating, to pin on him. And this is when the the doctor is writing his autopsy, I think, for Antonio. Evidence of homicide. Yeah, you're like, "Uh uh-oh, Zay has a meeting with him and winds up poking his fucking eyeballs out. Dude, that was gnarly, too. The very first shot that they only show for like a split second of the eye gouge was super gnarly. After that, you could kind of tell that it was makeup with dude's eyes closed. Yeah. yeah. But it however so did, they did that very first shot. Because like I said, it lasted a second. But it looked killer, dude. <laughs> yeah, they did a really good job of that. But then, not only did he have, of course, the goal to, to poke his eyeballs out, he Mine's pours alcohol out. on him and it sets him ablaze. I was not expecting that <laughs> shit. I was like, this motherfucker right here, dude. At that point, how do you think he's thinking he's still going to get away with this shit? If he's doing shit that wantonly, just that. Yeah, it gets to a point where he is like super nihilistic, right? He doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) For him, there's like no repercussions for his actions. But the next really cool thing is actually like a long monologue that he has. Reason being is I was listening to some uh, interviews with Jose and he was saying that he only had so many cans of negative film and he had to get this scene down so he could only do it in one long take. Otherwise, it would pretty much fucking halt a lot of production. Mm. So the whole point is, is he's like looking <laughs> off into the distance from a window, and it's starting to storm outside, and he's starting to hear the voice of his wife, and then Terezinha, and then his Antonio, and so he's going a little delusional, a little crazy, and then he goes on another little tirade, like mocking the spirits, and he, he's pretty much a non-believer. He doesn't believe in Satan, God, all that shit. But it's all in one long take, which is really cool, too. I mean, pretty damn decent job. It gets to the point where it is the last of the Day of the Dead, right? Mm -hmm. In Brazil, they call it finados. It's intended as a positive honoring of the dead. And it's back at the tavern. 
the men are pretty much telling Zay that he shouldn't be mocking the dead on this night or else he'll end up in the procession of the dead. And he's telling the guys basically, fuck off. You don't believe in those old fairy tales. And he offers Maria a gift. He wants to give her money. And her uncle gets caught up in some shit. <laughs> and he's finally like, guys, we can gang up on him. I know. Nobody does shit. No one does shit. They let him take an ass whooping is basically what happens. Because what he does is he gets the crown of thorns off the statue. That was not. I was not expecting that shit. That was also gnarly. The makeup looked good on that, too. I was like, he fucked him up real quick because the guy's attitude changed real fast. <laughs> Made him pick up the money. Tells him, he's like, no, you need to hand it to Maria and get the fuck out of here. And they, they basically do. They piss off. And then this woman shows up looking for her aunt, who was the lady at the beginning of the film. Oh, I didn't know who her aunt was. Yeah. That makes more sense. That's something that I've been trying to figure out this entire time. Yeah, and that's what that is. So nobody wants to take her or escort her to that home because it is the Day of the Dead. They don't want to get caught up walking the streets and running into ghosts or whatnot. Zay offers it up because it's like, all right, she might not be a dime piece, but she'll do, right? (laughs) Any fucking port in the storm. (laughs) Yeah. So he takes her back to her auntie's. And as he's walking away, he's like, man, if I play my cards right, I might yeah, have a she chance. She actually seemed maybe a little bit into it. She was kind of digging him a little bit. He's like, she wasn't completely there, but she was way more there than any of these other chicks. Like, yeah, I might be able to do I this. I mean, they even ran into the witch, of course, which she started spelling out his fate, which was kind of, I mean. Which now you know the last 20 minutes of the movie, by the way. Yeah, exactly. It's like, even the end, I mean, everything plays its way out. She warns him about the wind. She puts everything in context, essentially, is what she's doing. Let me see here. Okay. She tells him, um, beware of the dead, beware of the wind, because it's wandering ghosts. A black cat is the devil, devil, of course. She says, when you hear footsteps, but there's nobody behind you, that's when it's the damnation of your soul. She's like, when you hear the death call of the owl, that is the harbinger of your end. And then when you see lights, it's actually candles of the procession of the dead. Which, when that stuff starts to happen, of course, when he's in the woods and all that shit. The woods, believe it or not, was done in that studio. Oh, wow. That is nuts. That's cool. They said for the cemetery, which you can tell, like, it's the fake cemetery. Yeah. Was that it was only done in about 300 square feet. Okay. That set. Yeah. I'm like, that actually looked really good because they talked about the fact that when they were filming it, a lot of the crew were, like, laughing at him, like, this shit looks so fucking fake. Essentially, but it looked good, right? But he said in the editing and the final film, they're like it blew their minds because it looks like he's actually walking in the woods. Yeah, and it's all done in a, just a small space. Did a really good job. So, long story short, all that shit starts to happen. He hears the wind. He hears the footsteps. Yada yada. His friend eventually shows up, Antonio, with the light. He offers him a light, and you see the halo effect. Did you read about that? I didn't read about it. I was hoping you read about that. I did. I was like, how the fuck did they do that? I have a suspicion. I'm pretty positive I am absolutely wrong. So how how did they do that? Okay, well, let me hear yours first because then I can, I can give you some insight. I feel like they filmed that and then basically refilmed what they filmed with basically stop motioning a glitter outline around okay. them. <laughs> You're not wrong because they actually did use glitter as the outline. Yeah, and then I guess put it back in. And reshot over it, the new. So I was reel. close, pretty close. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "That's pretty interesting because it does give a halo effect." It is. I'm like, "This is a like the weirdest fucking rotoscoping I've ever seen." Yeah, but considering, actually, I'm going to get into some trivia after we talk about this. 
considering what he had to work with, it's pretty impressive, honestly. I mean, yeah, it looks kind of cheesy, but it did its job. All right, so we're getting towards the end now. I actually wrote down that uh, the woman's name was Marta, whatever. That's not the point. He actually witnesses the procession of the dead, right? This movie fucking pissed me off when he was at the very end of the procession of the dead. And I was like, oh, why didn't I realize that was going to happen? They told me that that was going to happen and it still kind of surprised me. How did this movie surprise me with that? <laughs> that was so fucking stupid. They told me and it pissed me off. Yeah. And, you know, of course, he sees that's himself. That's more on me. That's not even the movie. Like, no. That's on me. As a part of the procession, he sees himself dead, right? Freaks him out. He runs to the mausoleum. Which is all part of that set. Before the before the procession of the dead, mm-hmm. because I still think there's a chance he has magic powers. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I still thought there was a chance he had magic powers, and then I realized he has for sure one magic power, and that's <laughs> and that is Coffin Joe comes strapped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know you're talking about. That's so funny. Yeah, he gets spooked. Starts yes. firing off rounds. I was like, where the fuck that gun come from? <laughs> well, he actually, I think he mentions that to the lady he's walking with, like. Oh, he's like, don't worry, baby. Yeah, I'll strap. (laughs) Which is interesting, too, because as a part of a little bit of trivia, is that there was a scene, apparently, that the cast and crew didn't want to film, and they've made mention of the fact that he threatened them with a gun to film it, and so they went along with it. But he says it was the prop gun that he used, so maybe it was the same prop gun that he used. I don't know. Yeah, like I said, little trivia bits about that. But... Yeah, when he's in the mausoleum, he finally sees the dead bodies of his best friend Antonio, of the woman he's been trying to hook up with, which he raves, essentially, Teresina. He wants to affirm or confirm that they are dead, but when he opens it up, their eyes are actually open, so it appears that they might be alive. And then he lets out like this blood-curdling yell. Then you see the townspeople with like an officer, I guess like, I don't know, whatever, a priest, and they find his dead body is what it mm-hmm. appears to be like, right? Effects look pretty good on his face, the eyeball. So that very last shot where he's like upside down, sprawled across the top of the slab. Yeah, essentially, yeah. After getting the psychic shit beat out of him (laughs) is what it seemed like. Yeah. If you were to tell me that that was the inspiration for the look of the Babadook, I would believe you. Yeah, I could see that for sure. (laughs) It might be. I like it though. Yeah. That combined with the hat that he wears all the time anyway. Yeah, the top hat. It works. The last bit, of course, too, which makes the whole payoff is the fact that the church bell rings, signaling in that it's midnight. midnight. Yeah. And then the only time that I've ever seen it, maybe the only time that we've seen it, is it says Fim instead of Fin or Finished, the end. Right. <laughs> I was like, cool, man. We finally get one of those. So, yeah, that's pretty much it, right? I was like, wow, this movie, for being the first horror movie in Brazil... It pays kind of a cool nod to what I've seen people describe as like the universal kind of style, whether it's mm. Dracula with the black and white and mm-hmm. Frankenstein, etc. But mixing it in with the 1960s Brazil, because he had nothing to base it on before, right? Because there were no horror films in Brazil prior. He said that the inspiration for this film was that he had a meal over at his parents. He went to sleep that night and had a nightmare and he said that his parents thought he was being possessed by the devil because they're a pretty religious family. But he said that in the dream, he had a vision of a creature that like drug him to his grave. And on his tombstone, he saw, of course, his birth date and his death date. And when he woke up, he said he took a shower. He got in contact with his secretary, 
which I don't know if you read this or not, but his secretary was Teresina in the film, Matt oh, May, who okay. actually helped write the screenplay. Because the next thing he did is he contacted her. He's like, they worked on the script for the film that night, after that nightmare. And uh, something else that's kind of interesting. You, so with her working on the script, do you think he was the ones like, and then I kiss you? And she's like, no, actually, I bite you. <laughs> and so, yeah, some of the other cool stuff is before he actually filmed this film, he was approached to do a film about juvenile delinquency. And it was called The Doomed Generation. But because of this dream... He was like, no, I actually want to do a horror film. So he was working with like a small studio and they were just basically doing like little indie projects, westerns, which is kind of cool that you said that because he actually worked on westerns prior. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said, dramas, whatever. But he was inspired by that dream and, you know, he, he had a vision of a character. And this is kind of interesting. He said when he was eight years old that in his town, he actually grew up in Sao Paulo in like this certain district, but... There was this vendor who died, and a lot of people showed up for his funeral. And he said the guy was buried with, like, cotton in his nose and in his ears. He wasn't sure why. He's like, it was the first time he's seen, like, a woman mourning who was like, you know, it should be me instead of you. And he said that he and, like, three other kids in his uh, his neighborhood prayed for that guy to come back. And... I, like I said, I don't know how true this is, but he said basically the guy came back up out of his grave, didn't know what happened to him. He said like nobody would ever buy potatoes from that guy. He said eventually that guy like went mad. Mm. Like his wife couldn't divorce him because he was technically not dead. But yeah, I was like, he said that was kind of inspiration for some of the other stuff and just the imagining. Like he's like, I already had a cape. He's like, I had a top hat. I already had an an, an image of what this character this is. Like a guy, come, you know, who... I already go around dressed like fucking Montag. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's like that's pretty interesting, man. So anyway, because of a dream, kind of like Wes Craven with a lot of his early shit too. Mm. So that it inspired him to do this horror film. And good on him because he's turned it into a lifelong fucking career. Yeah, and it's pretty amazing when you think about it too because he wasn't even slated to be in that role as Coffin Joe. It was like, he said it was basically out of desperation and necessity. He said they only had like 13 days to shoot this film. And he only had 15 cans of negative film to shoot it in. He said that the crew basically worked on films that had at least 80 cans, Mm. right? He said two of them were stolen, so now he only had 13 cans of negative to work with. So a lot of it was shot, I think he said 12 out of the 13 days were shot in the studio. One day was dedicated to outdoor shots to pull it off in 13 days and to have like these themes in the film and like actually being really good. I would imagine super low budget too. So, I mean, that's the weird. So it sounds like almost a miracle that this got made, but at the same time, after having watched this movie and I like this movie, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. But it also kind of blows my mind that it took them a full 13 days to shoot this. <laughs> I, I was thinking like eight. <laughs> I was watching this in like eight. But also it's like his first flick. So room for error, I suppose. 13, I guess, sounds great. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty interesting. I, I couldn't do it. But no. something about that just sounds weird for what I watched. And I'm thinking too, like, <laughs> you know, you're shooting basically in your neighborhood Maybe in not. Sao Paulo. That's some cool shit. Yeah, okay. 13's, 13's a fucking miracle. Way to go. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty impressive. I'm thinking more about it. I'm thinking about some of the effects that they had to do and shit. Like, yeah. 
you know, he even talked about the fact, right, that after the film came out, and at the time, too, the censorship, like the board, was, wasn't was very, it didn't have its shit together, right? It wasn't very structured. It wasn't very, you know, something that you could trust. Anyway, so during that time period, like certain states, because there's like, I want to say 13 different states in Brazil, and some of them could show the film, some of it couldn't, but every year, the censorship would actually present it in a different state. And so, of course, everybody was exposed to it. He said, but during that time period, he said, there were like 20 different cuts of this film floating around. Jesus. And they had to tell the censorship board, that is, that basically, like, they didn't have copies of the negative. But what they, what they were trying to do was make sure that the actual original negatives weren't being chopped up mm. and, you know, being reinserted. And he's like, that was just a way to make sure that they could actually keep this film intact because there were so many different cuts depending on where they were showing it. He said, but in uh, one neighborhood in, in Sao Paulo, one theater in particular, he said in one week they had 50,000 viewers in that theater for this film. <laughs> and I'm like, that is, that's crazy. I mean, there's a lot of people in Sao Paulo. It feels insane, though. I know 50,000 people for one film. Like, that's, that's kind of unheard of these days, you would think, in a, one theater. In one theater. For one film <laughs> in particular. He said it was just kind of wildly successful because... You know, he said, for some people, it was, it was too blasphemous. He said, it wasn't really, like, the censorship wasn't about, like, him beating Terjina and, and, like, the violence. It was more or less about the blasphemy because mm-hmm. they are such a very, like you were saying earlier, superstitious culture and very religious on top of it. So I can see why it has mixed reviews. You know, people didn't really know what to make of it at that time. It's interesting. I'm super glad we watched it, too. It's Yeah, it's a bit of history. It's a film that... It's a lot better than I was really anticipating. I know it Same. gets praise, and it's pretty impressive too for a first time. I want to say, well, he wasn't a first time filmmaker. Yeah, it wasn't let's, first let's back time. that up. Yeah, let's it back was, that up. He it was, was he wasn't first. Time. First time making a horror film in Brazil is pretty fucking impressive when you have nothing else to basically, you know, set a pun from. Like, there's nothing that you could use as a reference point other than like the Universal, like right? You pointed out and. Like I said, a really cool, interesting character. Not one that you should be looking up to. But a good villain that actually is also a main character. So in a way, he is a protagonist. I think I mean, I mean, think that's the main failing of this film. Is that in a lot of ways, it kind of seems like it's trying to have its cake and eat it too. Of making Coffin Joe both cool and a villain. Yeah. I think he's one of those villains that you you love to hate, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. It was a good effort. It was a good effort. Yeah. I like. I totally appreciate this film. It's got me interested in some of his other films because I do own a few of his other films. But, you know, when I'd you like think of... I'd like to of, see, like, some of his, like, mid-70s work. Yeah, because this I, is, like, early it's going to progress. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely going to progress from there. I hear the sequel is really good as well. It's got me curious, like I said, about some of the other films in that catalog as well. So, we'll see. But I know we haven't really covered much, if at all, any South American horror, per se. And if not, this is a good one to kind of set down as a foundation. Uh, I agree. Shit, well, we have already come to a decision about next week's episode. And that is, there's not going to be an episode next week. But that is all because we are gearing up for a supersized episode for your Thanksgiving holiday. You can be gluttons for turkey and gluttons for our fucking show as we talk about two of the biggest fucking turkeys that we can get, <laughs> think of with the American remake of Inside, doubleheader American remake, 
of martyrs. Yeah, two turkeys one day, which is fun. It's a good way to celebrate the holidays. It's a good way for us to finally tackle remakes of films that we hold in high praise. <laughs> and that the universe holds in low praise. Oh my gosh, yeah. So we'll finally get to knock those off our bucket list. So I'm... And to move past it so we can stop thinking about this idea, yeah, too. I am looking forward to doing it. I don't know how forward I am looking to those films is what I'm getting at. I agree. I'm looking forward to doing this. Right. Not looking forward to Not the necessarily films. to those films. Yeah. But it's going to be fun regardless. I am looking forward to rewatching the originals. Likewise. For having that excuse. But that is going to be the week of Thanksgiving. There is going to be a week off. So just get ready for that. Maybe go watch the originals yourselves. Watch three makes yourselves. Yeah, it should give everybody time to catch up on both. Hit subscribe, however you're listening to us right now, in order to catch that episode as soon as it comes out. You can go over to our website, www.friedsquirms.com. There's other ways of listening linked up at the top. The entire archive linked throughout the middle, as well as portals to all of our online things. The Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebook. You can contact us through our website or by emailing us, squirmcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you all. If there's a way for you to like leave a rating, however you're listening to us, that helps even more than like you telling all your friends about us, to be completely honest. So we would super like appreciate that, too. Yeah, but definitely do both. <laughs> but yeah, in the meantime, if you want to contact us, let us know if, if there's any films that you like for us to review. That could be recommendations, if you have suggestions for the show. Once again, if you have a film that might need some eyeballs on it, we've already talked about the fact that we've got dirty eyeballs, and we can put them all over your films. So just let us know. We're always up for that as well. But yeah, in the meantime, I enjoyed this film. Looking forward to our Thanksgiving episode. And we're going to say bye, but then we're going to cut to a couple minutes of us talking about The Lighthouse. Oh, we can't so it. if you want to hear about that, stay tuned. All right, so as we already mentioned, this weekend, me and Danny finally got to go see The Lighthouse, which I think has been one of our most anticipated horror films of this year, after we were just entranced by The Witch. We, in fact, love living deliciously, so <laughs> we definitely wanted to see what else Eggers could give us. Went down to the Roxy. It's been remodeled since the last time we were there, so that was awesome. My butt was very happy in my seat. It was nice to have some leg room, and you can recline a little bit in there, too. A little too. bit. Yeah, which was really nice. So it was a cool turnout. I don't think there was as many people as I thought were going to be at the film that were in the lobby. <laughs> but there was a lot Still of people. Still a lot of people. There. Yeah, like I'm not discounting that. <laughs> that theater was damn near full. It was a good turnout for that film. I was really happy about that. So that lets me know there's a community of people who are interested in these styles of film. I know just straight coming out of the theater... Me and you had at least one thought, maybe two thoughts that were extremely similar. The first thing is that watching this movie in the theaters makes you long for the home experience of having subtitles. Oh man, that was one of my first thoughts as soon as the film played. And this is a part of the home movie experience as opposed to a theater experience. Is like, man, do I miss... <laughs> do I miss just, subtitles? Just being able to turn them on. Oh, man. I was like, because I know I'm going to be missing a lot of dialogue in this film for that reason alone. Absolutely. This film is already a must rewatch just because I know I missed shit in the dialogue. Right. And I was like, as long as I can follow the plot and, and the generalizations of what is being interpreted, you know, like said or whatnot, it's like, then I can at least glean a little bit what the fuck they're talking about. Agreed. 
at least I had this thought, and I thought you echoed it. Maybe not. But this movie very much made me thankful that I live in modern times. You're damn right. There is no way I could be stranded on a rock like that for, how was it, four weeks? Four weeks. Five weeks, five days, five minutes. (laughs) What? Now, we'll try to stay as spoiler-free as we can. One or two might slip. We're sorry about that, but that's the risk you take fucking listening to us. Just putting that yeah, out Yeah, we there. won't give like two deep of cuts, just put it that way. But I guess in a, to put it in the parlance of our normal segment, how did it make you squeal overall? Like, whoa. All right. Did you like this movie? <laughs> I did. I did. Reason being, because after you and I like went our separate ways, so I went back home and actually listened to a couple of interviews, and I was like, well... I know that if a film captures my attention enough for me to research it outside of the film itself, then I know I have at least somewhat of a liking to it. (laughs) So, yeah, I was like, man, this movie is so metaphorical for a lot of different things, whether you know about them or not. It makes you want to research them so you can glean a little bit more information about it and maybe give you a little bit better idea of some of those interpretations. So overall, yes, I like the film a lot. I like the aspect ratio it was shot in. What was it? Like 1.17? No, it was 1.9. Yeah. 1.19 to 1? Yeah, which they used a lot. I, I read in like the 1920s and 30s, I think up into the 40s. And yeah, it just gives you more of like a, a tight feeling because I think they use one part of it for audio tracking as well, mm. which is kind of interesting. So yeah, some of it was dedicated just to audio tracking. That's interesting. It gave the film a very awesome claustrophobic feel. Really did. Weirdly akin, I would say, to The Shining. Mm, I agree. Totally agree with that. It's wanting to build like tension and dread and, like you said, that feel of being closed in. And I like that, too, because you know, you're watching it in a theater with people, too, so you're already kind of closed in as it is. The sound design was dope. Really so, good. So, I guess, overall, like... Technically, it was well done. Like, The Witch was already a tactical masterpiece with being filmed only with natural lighting and just Egger's attention to detail. If you enjoy Egger's attention to detail in The Witch, then this movie's going to make you come. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit of a (laughs) spoiler. There's just, there's so much technical detail in this movie. There really is. And I like that they technically are are complementary pieces, but they're different in the technical aspects of it. Like you were mentioning, they use natural lighting in The Witch. and this one, they have to use lighting because it is black and white. Yeah, black and white's weird. It really yeah. is. You have to, to have your the... lighting just mm-hmm. right to get certain shadows cast and whatnot. Yeah, but amazing film. And, and everything, including The Lighthouse, was a built set. Like, they actually constructed that. Oh, that's cool. I do have to say, overall, though, from my impression of the movie, my thoughts from when I first came out of the movie still haven't changed much. And I said two things to you. The first was that I enjoyed it, but I'm not sure how much I liked it. Right. And that I'm positive I like it, but I'm really, at this point, not sure how much. Mm -hmm. And it's just that there is so much to digest in this movie, and we did only get one time through it. All right. One time without subtitles yeah exactly (laughs) my initial impression right off the bat was a little bit the same i was like i think i really do like this film but i'm not sure how much right now because everything's still kind of sinking in i'm trying to unravel the stuff that's going on in the film but it also makes me appreciate not necessarily just the story itself is the craftsmanship of the film itself too it's like you can compare it to certain things but it's not 
that film. It's not what you're comparing it to. It just has maybe similar tones or similar fills. It's unique in and of itself. It also very much wasn't what I was expecting. I've never seen this series of a movie with so many shit and fart jokes. Very comedic. Was not anticipating any of the comedy in this. But it gives it a, a, and a lot of it. A, are, nice a lot of it is literally shit and fart jokes. It is, but <laughs> I think too, like having that that little bit of a beat in here is it. It breaks a little bit of that tension. It loosens you up a little bit, and then it reels you back in with that stuff too. So I like that. It does mix a good bit of humor in here. I, I do like that a lot, even though it is dick and fart jokes. I don't know how much more I can say though without going into details. Yeah, exactly. I, I liked I, it. I'm still not sure how much. I would recommend it for the technical merits alone. Absolutely. Like if you are a film lover, like it is if if you like finely crafted. Oh man, I could see this in years' time being a part of the Criterion Collection just because of those technical aspects. It's a film for people who enjoy cinema, and like I said, the craftsmanship. It's for people who like a little bit of like avant garde, a little bit. Little, little art to house. think about your movie. Right. I think for people who want Nothing a, on its face makes, yeah, it's like, makes sense. I think for people who want a pure horror film, you're yeah. not going to be pleased with it. It is, but it's not a horror film. Yeah. It's many things. That's what it is. But go see it if you get a chance. Really entertaining, yeah. Especially because with this kind of movie, the best chance you're going to get to see it is probably at more of a local cinema. So go support your local cinema. Yeah, that's another really cool thing. Is the support fact your that local Roxy art house cinema. Yeah. yeah, so is it another cool way for us to visit our local theater? But for that, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. out.